Wow, your enthusiasm is off the charts. Whatever. I should have delivered it like total Kourtney Kardashian, like, vocal fry. Like, you can't say we haven't been living life. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. There we go. And we're officially back. California. up with the Coens, an OC rewatch podcast. Hello and welcome back to the OC bitch. It's keeping up with the Coens and it is officially season three, the worst season of the OC and probably of this podcast. My name is Ryan Drake coming to you from a hot and humid Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. I'm joined as always by my best friend, the heiress of Tulsa. She will not be attending my birthday party. Her name is Chelsea Trinidad. Hello, Chelsea. Hi, guys. Um, I have to disagree. I don't think this is going to be the worst season of this show. I think this is going to be the best season of this show, but the worst season of the OC, if that makes any sense. You don't feel like it could be a situation where like, we get too comfortable, like we're getting too used to this now, and we just kind of like phone it in? No, I think opposite. Never. I think because we don't have good source material to work with, I think <laughs> that we're all going to try super hard to uh, make this season really good. So we're going to try too hard. I understand. Speaking yeah, of trying exactly. too hard. <laughs> yes. I would like to welcome back. We have extended his contract for one more season against all my judgment. It is, of course, Daddy Dylan coming to us from Oklahoma City. Hello, Dylan. You guys should kill me off at the end of this season and then have someone who is much more charming come in and take my place. We to, but we have to introduce that person this season. That's true. Yeah. I'm going to keep the door locked so Leslie doesn't come in because she is obviously the more charming side of this. But, you I know, I, I am coming to Ryan's birthday and it's not just his birthday. It's his bar mitzvah. I don't know if you all remember that um, he has many bar mitzvahs. And I personally am very excited to become a man with Ryan together that's weird. um that's... at the speakeasy yeah no one said that it, that's it that's 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 jewish history sure. you told us that about that in jew corner <laughs> yeah. dylan and i have a, a separate jew corner text where we just sex each other back and forth oh, what's up chelsea it lines it actually lines up that um isn't there a isn't there an adult bar mitzvah this season also the christmica bar mitzvah yeah i almost forgot about that that's Dang. right also i should it should be it should be mentioned that today, the day this episode is releasing, is my birthday. So happy birthday to me. Happy birthday, Ryan. Thank happy you. Happy birthday, Ryan. Thank you, Chelsea. Happy birthday, Dad, as well. I know you're listening to this, probably with mom in the car. Oh, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully not with anyone happy birthday who would be offended to Daddy by it. Dylan's daddy. Happy birthday, <laughs> Dylan's daddy. Um, this is going to get picked up by some granddaddy. fetishizing <laughs> websites. Oh, yeah, happy future birthday. granddad. Happy birthday, Grandpa. <laughs> And my dad. Happy birthday, Dad. Our SEO is going to go through the roof. Um, uh, and yeah, I sh- if you're in Oklahoma City, listen, if you're in Oklahoma City, um, there is a party happening on Saturday at the 51st Street Speakeasy in Oklahoma City. Um, it's my birthday party. I will be DJing my own birthday party, and you have to pay $5 to come to it, and Dylan has to pay $100 to come to it. <laughs> um, so it's happening Saturday at 9 p.m. at the Speakeasy. I encourage anyone who's a fan of the show to come by. If you're not, if you know if you're not in this city, drive up. It'll be worth it, probably. Um, Chelsea's doing balloons, and so she will not be there in spirit, but uh, it's going to be a good time. If Assuming we have it, I'm assuming we're having it. We're recording this in mid-July, and COVID cases are 
making a comeback, guys. The Delta am I variant right? party. Yeah, I was like, am the I right? Let's be topical saw, for a minute. <laughs> I saw I saw a tweet today that uh, from from one of the girls you won RuPaul's Drag Race that said one one of the girls is going to name themselves Delta Variant, aren't they? And I thought that was a pretty good. Oh joke. my god. <laughs> That'd be a fantastic drag name. I might just edit this out by the time the episode drops if it's not happening. But as of now, there's a party August 21st, which is this coming Saturday in Oklahoma City. Are you guys ready to get into season three of the OC? Let's do it. Let's do it. Wow. We're (laughs) really streamlining this. All right. All right. I know. That gets us into episode one of season three. It's called The Aftermath. Dylan, do the thing that you do here. Everyone first witnessed the awful, horrifying truth that was season three on September 8th, 2005, 7.5 million victims written by Josh Schwartz. We have to get ahead of this and just re- reiterate the fact that we love the show. We're not here to just talk. We're not here to just no, hate on it. Never. Season three is objectively the worst, but we're not going to just be rude about it the whole time. I promise. Are we going to treat it like with as a season with an asterisk or are we going to continue to uh i cannot in good faith do that we have to treat this show as if it is uh canonical because it does introduce us to the greatest character of all time we'll get to that okay very fair is it pronounced asterisk asterisk Asterisk. I think it's both. All think it's three a- of us say it different way because I say asterisk. <laughs> asterisk. Asterisk. That see, that's what I say. I don't say asterisk. That's like a, that's like <laughs> some kind of like a David thing Letterman you do segment. with your butt. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's see what's uh, what we got here. An ass trick. I don't know what that was. That was not David Letterman. That sounded like Beavis doing David Letterman. Beavis. No, that's Butthead. Beavis would be like me. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. I feel like we should maybe just do a quick recap of what how we ended season two. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended season two with yeah. Kirsten going to rehab after freaking oh, yes. out at her dad's funeral after party. I call it a shiva, whatever you want to call it. Um, Shivy. Caleb is dead. Uh, Tate and Julie are getting back together, and it's I I have some real hard thoughts on Tate by the end of this um, these two episodes. We'll get there. Uh. Tate and Julie are getting back together. Um, Seth and Summer seem fine; they're just kind of cruising along. And of course, Marissa has shot Trey in the back, and we're left on a cliffhanger as to what's going to happen with her and what's going to happen with Trey. Is he alive? Is he dead? We don't know. He is alive, so it seems like kind of a an immediate cop-out, in my opinion. Yeah, I think so, too. And really, by the end of this episode, all of the consequences were kind of... I mean, almost all of them were kind of swept away. As far as the Trey stuff is concerned, like... He's just alive and he's fine and now he's going away and that's it. I have it was questions a about episode. that because do they just do they just let people who uh, were committing crimes and were shot while committing crimes just like leave town? That's one of my notes too. Is like, is he not going to be prosecuted at all for the fact that he attempted to rape Marissa? Like that, and then the harboring a fugitive thing. I can't remember if this is the first or second episode, but like, there's so much. Like, there's a lack of prosecution. All they care about is having that really aggressive Lance Energy DA <laughs> give weird depositions to everyone. I literally wrote Lance Energy. I'm not kidding. Oh, dude, there's there's so much Lance Energy in both of these episodes. I would assume that the DA would only go after cases that they felt like was a pretty easy slam dunk. And I mean, again, this is the caveat that they might just do things differently in California, but like... The DA's office doesn't get involved until after the police have done all their reports and stuff like that. Like you don't, a DA doesn't go and depose someone who might 
have committed a crime. That's like minority report stuff. What happens <laughs> is a crime is reported. The police get all the interviews from everyone. And then all of that is given to the DA. And the DA goes, hmm, I think I'm going to file against this person or that person. And so this whole deposition thing, I don't get. And besides, in a deposition, a court reporter has to swear you in because she's administered she's licensed to administer the oath you know that you'll tell the truth i feel like um if you're josh schwartz like i probably would do the same thing they're like i don't fucking know how the legal system works i'm sure he doesn't either but he's just mm-hmm. like well i think i know a little bit and i'm gonna apply what i know here and <laughs> depositions I mean, right? if you didn't think about it that much it does make a compelling story like oh ryan already has a record but then you forget uh that he also has the top um public defender and private sector uh, a lawyer as well on his side in Sandy Cohen. And we know that he definitely has room in his schedule because his only client is dead. His only two clients are dead. I forgot. We still don't know what Sandy does for a job right now, right? No. He still has no job as far as we know. There, there was one thing like that happened right at the beginning of the episode, like before the, uh, before the theme music. There are a couple lines of dialogue in these episodes that made me laugh out loud. Oh, I got and some one, funny ones. And one of them was Ryan's in the hospital. And he goes, he's my brother. Is he going to be okay? And a doctor says he'd be better if someone hadn't shot him. <laughs> <laughs> so, I just want to say, I laughed out loud whenever Marissa goes to see Trey at the end of the episode. And he said, did you come here to finish the job? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so bad. It's great. So yeah, Trey's Trey's uh, he's alive. We start with a montage of people rushing around, and I actually thought it was funny that they started with that scene of uh, Ryan like waking up in the pool house, and I mm-hmm. thought about like because they kind of almost allude to it, like was it all a dream? Mm-hmm. And I was like, how fucking <laughs> mad would people have been if if they started season three, which is like just kidding, none of that happened. It was just a dream. And, like Trey wasn't even in town. Like <laughs> I mean, they basically kind of did that, but except without it was a dream. I mean, it was like because like you said, there were no consequences to most of this. But yeah, everyone just kind of moved on. You know where they actually did do a dream sequence, and it was a real thing. A part of the the content was in Twilight. I hated very, that so much. It like I because I saw it like that Friday uh, evening, so it was everyone's first time to see it, and it's a theater full of girls who have read the books. And as soon as they start this like really climatic fight scene, everyone is gasping so hard because like in the book, none of this shit happened. And like I'm not kidding, half of the vampires in it die. It is like an episode of Game of Thrones. Everyone is dropping like flies. We should do Twilight commentary episodes. We have so many bonus episode ideas. <laughs> this podcast is never going to end. It's just going to be. It's going to become whatever we want to do that week. But it's a bonus. Totally. I guess if we're going to talk about the show again, let's move on to talking about Kirsten. She's at rehab. Oh, yes, she is. Mm-hmm. And she seems to be doing really well. She's like the star student. I will say, I thought it was a little unfair when, um, you know, they're kind of doing the, hi, I'm Kirsten. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Kirsten. And she goes, well, it all begins and ends with my dad. I thought that was, I don't know. Did, did she just kind of forget about... Uh, Seth leaving town and Sandy having a quasi affair. Like I just thought well, that was a little heavy weighted on her dad. Like it begins and ends with him, but yeah, all that stuff the, happened. That stuff was in the in between. I feel like this is the vibe that I got. Like I feel like oh, if those things had happened, I, I feel like if those things had happened, but she hadn't had all this drama with her dad, she's the show was insinuating maybe she wouldn't have become an alcoholic. Oh, okay. We meet my one of my like least favorite characters in the entire season. Oh my god, I in fucking this scene hate too. her. 
I hate her. Yeah, Charlotte? so yeah, she yeah. is like the tray of the adult, not not the tray, the <laughs> Oliver of the adult storyline. Oh, she really is. That's and a great for, comparison. And for some reason, I don't know why, she looks nothing like him. But the entire time I was looking at her, I was like, "That's female Kevin Sorbo." And now I can't <laughs> stop thinking about it. Because Kevin Sorbo was Hercules, and she was seven of nine on Star Trek. There you go. Wait, she th- wait, that was seven of nine. Mm-hmm. Hey, she was in Picard too. She shows up. <laughs> she was don't in. Uh, I think she was in Voyager. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Welcome to Trek Talk. So they imply that uh, Kirsten doesn't know anything about the Trey situation going on at home. I had a question about that. Like, I had a question about that. By the time we get to the end of the second episode, like, does Kirsten even know about the shooting? Like, I, don't I don't think know. so. And I cannot recall a scene where they tell her about it either. Um, so the other thing going on is Tate and Julie are back, uh, but just immediately they imply that Tate is very weird and sketchy about money. That's right. He might be in trouble again, you guys. Yeah. Oh, can't believe Tate might have money problem. That's like his fatal flaw. He just, man, just can't <laughs> hold on to money. My Achilles heel. My Achilles wallet. Yeah. It's, it's money That's and Julie. That's our new thing this season. Those are his two, <laughs> like, <damn> it. Achilles <laughs> heels. Oh, uh, he has... Yes. So you have Chekhov's gun, Occam's razor, and now Achilles' wallet. I, 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 I hate this show so much. I'm so happy. I can't believe we did that. We've done this now three seasons in a row. Okay. Oh, um, so Julie kind of goes back into her old Julie-isms and is kind of starting to plot and figure out a way to turn this around and blame it all on Ryan. Yeah, it's just like an immediate revert back to season one, Julie, where she's like, well, it's time to be the bad guy again and blame everything on Ryan. Yeah, like, she's like, our family's back together. Like, I, they're ignoring Caitlyn. Like, literally, it is, it is, <laughs> <laughs> they have picked up from season two and plopped it into season, or sorry, episode two of season one and plopped it into season three. It's all the yeah. You know, we've seen this movie before. But, like, I don't know if we... I don't know if they did that on purpose. Like, I don't think they specifically were like, oh, let's do kind of, like, a a shout-out or something to season one, Julie. Let's, like, make sure that everyone knows that this is just who she is. I think they just ran out of ideas. And they're like, well, we can have Julie be a villain again and blame Ryan for everything again. I think that's exactly what happened. Um, And then it's so weird because they... Like, what she accuses Ryan of is the worst possible thing you could ever do. And then the next episode, they all just kind of go back to normal. Yeah. I have so many notes about that too. Julie and Sandy, like have one small confrontation and then that's pretty much it. They're back to normal. And and then that's it. Um, but obviously they're in all kinds of turmoil. They don't know what's going on with their parents. They don't know what's going on with the DA. So the uh, core four decide to escape the complexities of their life. And they have a really cute little beach outing. Boy, I you really thought that was really cute? I thought it was adorable. I think that that's kind of what I we thought it was into so the- it was weird. It was, it was weird. so out of place. I thought that the... The stuff, like the entire Ryan during that whole beach scene, doing the monster thing, he was so not Ryan. Like I wrote, they're trying to inject some weird personality into Ryan. This also, I think it's right before this scene we get another one of my favorite lines of dialogue that just makes no sense, where Marissa goes, "Are we okay?" Like about their relationship, and Ryan says, "Yeah, why wouldn't we be?" <laughs> well, the other kind of weird thing—that's a that- sign of a healthy relationship. <laughs> 
the other kind of weird thing that happens is doesn't doesn't like don't doesn't Ryan chase Summer down the beach and like pick her up and throw her over his shoulders or something like that? Is that way that's kind of weird? <laughs> I just want to give a shout out to I can't even remember the 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 guy the assistant district attorney guy with shaved head. Uh-huh. Um, oh, his name was like Johnny Law or something. <laughs> Dad Law Dad Lawman. Yeah, um, <laughs> he's the guy that's like he's the guy. <laughs> oh, we have Bob Law Blah, so we should call it Bob Law Blah. blah, blah. Um, Blah, blah, blah is like interviewing the kids for various things. There's a weird scene where he goes to to Julie's house. I guess that's Julie's house now to interview Marissa. He won't let Summer be there for it. He's like, Summer, he basically tells her, Miss Roberts, go inside. (laughs) And uh, Julie gets a shout out to HBO On Demand. They They have every season of Sex in the City. I didn't know HBO On Demand existed back then, like in 2005. Didn't she call it? Summer, we have home box office on demand every season of Sex and the City. <laughs> she did not say that. She at didn't all. say home box office. She said HBO. What am I thinking of? Something I that know. I made up is what I'm thinking. Dad of. brain. Dad. Dad brain. Summer, we have HBO on demand every season of Sex and the City. Knock yourself out. The next thing that we have going on is Julie approaching Trey in the night, and it's a very kind of film noir kind of vibe. Um, it's, it's, she's wearing like a scarf and a trench coat and they start at her feet and kind of pan up to her face and she kind of goes in the shadows and tells the nurse like, oh, you know, the Caleb Nick, or I am Julie Cooper Nickel. Julie Cooper Nickel. Of the Cooper wing of this hospital that employs you. Um, so she goes and she talks to Trey and gets like kind of coerces him. What do you think is going through Trey's head at this, during this time? Do you think that he's... Ouch. Do you think he's thinking of um, Marissa, though? Or do you think he's trying to kind of write the situation? Or do we think that he's just like, oh, good money? What do we think is going on? I am very confused by this because um, Julie offers him $20,000, which really doesn't seem like that much, to be honest. Maybe I'm just yeah. too uh, maybe I'm too much of an adult to be like, twenty k is not that much money. Mm-hmm. Um, she offered him $20,000 just to tell the police, I guess, or, or blah, 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 that (laughs) he was shot by Ryan instead of Marissa. And based on what the end of this series, or basically the end of this episode tells us, I think we're led to believe that he thought that this was also Marissa's wish, not just Julie's wish. I don't think he thinks that. I think that he's just a weak dude and he sees money. Well, then why change his mind? Well, we're forgetting a very important point is that at one point, Julie says, I can do your, you know, your help is I can do anything. And she has a pillow in her hand. So like maybe, (laughs) maybe he's like, this lady is going to potentially kill me if I don't do this. I don't know. There's a lot of weird. I don't like it's just a this is a thing that I had never even thought about until this rewatch. Normally my brain just shuts off. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's just what happened. But now I'm like, why did that happen? Yeah. There's no reason. What I was wondering, first of all, the candy striper outfits making a comeback was great. Um, It kind of made me want to go invest in one. I feel like those could be really fun during certain occasions. So your outfit of the episode? It's not my outfit of the episode. It should have been, though. Um, My outfit of the episodes were actually all of Marissa's. Uh, She had banger after banger. She's wearing, like, this vest with a giant crocheted flower on the chest. (laughs) (laughs) And then during their great escape, whenever they get caught, she's wearing these like perfect clam digger capris. Marissa was full of good outfits this season. Um, The candy sharpers, though, what I'm wondering is why did Marissa not wear a wire when she went to talk to Trey? It seems like that would have solved all of her problems, too, whether he wants to, um, whether he wanted to go along with it or not. She could have got all gotten all of her information right then and there, plus entrapped her mother. So I don't know why she wasn't thinking to do that. Wouldn't that be illegal? 
Depends. Oh God, I shouldn't have asked. Well, no, no, I need I need to look because and there are multiple states where you don't need the other person's consent to record them. Fun fact: Oklahoma is one of those states. You only need the consent of one person on the call, and that one person can be you. So why did the Zoom keep asking if it's okay for us to record? Because that's a good question. Yeah, it's above the it's law. Covering their, covering their bases. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I the whole thing doesn't really makes sense unless you think that Trey is actually a good person and he was just doing what he thought Marissa wanted until she tells him herself that she doesn't want him to lie. Mm-hmm. Why yeah. would she ever want him to lie about that, though? I mean, For the same reasons that Julie wants him to lie so she doesn't get in trouble. Bl- blaming your own brother for that just seems so fucking cold. I can't. Yeah, but so what, what happened in season two that made you think that Trey really, really cares about his brother? Yeah, that's a good point. You're right. So Ryan has an attachment to him that is just completely... Based in nothing. Yes, Ryan has attachment issues with everybody. Ryan has to be everyone's savior and do and help everybody Except all the time. himself. Um, I want to know what this restaurant is that Sandy and Jimmy meet at. It's the lighthouse. Uh, oh, at the end. Wait, was it the end of the episode whenever he brings up Julie? Yeah. Um, have, it, and the it's the same. Is it not the same restaurant that, Ju- that, that Jimmy or sorry, Tate meets up with the weird guy from the with next the episode shark. who gives money to? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the same. It's the sure. same restaurant that Sandy went to. The night that Max died. Because remember, we had that whole conversation about why would he... He had to go meet Rebecca when he found out Max died. <laughs> yeah. And we were mm-hmm. like, why did he stop off at the bar randomly on his way to meet Rebecca? Courage. Which doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah, but that's the same That's the same set piece. So it's the same restaurant. Well, it must be the same restaurant also that Kirsten was at when she got really drunk and then drove home. Is it the lighthouse? Yeah. Am I missing something? No, it's not the lighthouse. Because the, li- the lighthouse is a it, different set. and they. It, I think it's just the country club. Okay. I, I was thinking it's maybe McDonald's. it was Arches. It's the Arches. No, I don't think it's Arches because we've only we've seen Arches and they're never sitting at the bar like that. I think every time they've been at the bar like that or even where Jimmy Tate was meeting up with Julie in episode two, I think it's just like the country club that they all frequent. Oh. Well, because they said that Caleb has, because remember they talk in, this, in the next episode that like Caleb just has a tab open there and they just put it on Caleb's tab. Good point. Yeah. Very good point. Um, so I, in the next scene, um, you know, finally the truth comes out. Ryan is released from jail. I can't believe they sent him to jail, but I guess that makes well, he tried sense. To run, he, first of all, he tried to run away. Did we forget about that? He tried to literally run oh, from the police. You can't do that. He just over that. What? How short-sighted are these kids? They're like, let's just get on the boat and float away. <laughs> like, what on earth? Harboring a fugitive is also a felony. And, of course, no one else is going to get prosecuted for it. I love that they do, like, it's become kind of a, it's almost a, a gag at this point. They're like, oh, Ryan's packing his shit. He's running away again. And it's not the last time he does it. I think he does it again later this season. Yeah. When, he tries to go be, when he tries to go be a fisherman or something. Yeah. Right? Um, and Marissa's like, you're just like my dad. Float away on a yeah. boat. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So that's some foreshadowing to how great this season is. Oh, God. Um, but it's become like such a joke at this point. They're like, oh, he's packing his bags again. And that's basically what Seth says. Like, he's running away. It, I did kind of like the twist of like, they're not even going to try and stop him. They're actually going to help him this time. So that was kind of fun. But overall, the whole plan and idea was really, really Yeah. And I'm dumb. surprised. I could see Seth going along with it because obviously he's very attached to Ryan. But why was Summer not like, <laughs> okay, I'm out. Not Harper and Fugitive, bye. That was a little crazy. Can I tell you? I have some thoughts about Summer. She may not be as perfect as we thought. What? Uh, Excuse me? Based on based on episode two, we'll get there. Oh, are you? Is it because she's hating on Taylor? Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey. I did kind of have a general question about this episode. And honestly, mm-hmm. this season in general, 
I feel like there's one detail that you could change about this episode that I think could have potentially made this a better season. Luke? Yeah. Well, Luke, Luke is kind of... Luke makes everything better. Like, put Luke yeah. in the White House. It's better. But... <laughs> so... Oh, my God. Season four should have had President Luke. <laughs> yes. Imagine... <laughs> Can you imagine if Olivia Rodrigo was there with Luke? Like, that would be stellar. The whole country would be vaccinated. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. true. So, I think, and the question I posit here is, would we have liked it more if Trey had died? I think that the story would be better. I think, story-wise, it would have made more sense, but also, just the idea of them dealing with Trey's death is immediately a turnoff. To yeah, me. It's going to be like four, four episodes... It's just four episodes of them being sad and like making dumb choices based on their sadness. I couldn't handle it. Hmm. Yeah, I don't like it either. Um, I I get why they couldn't totally kill him off, even though um, it's kind of unsatisfying that he just like rides away. But yeah, but so he just gets on a bus and leaves forever, and like we never hear from him again. We never see him again. But he's alive in the world somewhere. He's mm-hmm. with Donnie. And like we later in season four, we meet Ryan's dad. I don't think Trey's name ever comes up, as far as I remember. Yeah, he's uh, <laughs> Ryan's dad is uninterested in reconnecting with Trey. He's like, oh, Trey's a piece of shit. Also, there was a line I didn't I didn't write this down in my notes, but there was a line that I completely forgot about, where I think it's towards the beginning of the episode where Bob blah blah is talking to Sandy at his house. And he says something like, you know, Ryan, who has like such a rap sheet, but we're supposed to believe that it was Caleb Nichols' daughter that tried to blow him away. And I was like, Marissa's not his daughter. But he does say, I checked it like three times. He says Caleb Nichols' daughter Mm -hmm. in reference to Marissa. I'll add the audio here just to prove that I'm right. Look at the record Ryan's got. His history of violence. And Caleb Nichols' daughter's the one blowing away ex-cons with a forty-five. She saved Ryan's life. Hey, it's just like the high Tate. <laughs> I still think about that. Boy. Oh, you okay. know what? I was listening to um, Welcome to the Podcast, bitches, and they referenced that moment. So yeah, I either heard that as well. it either that actually happened, or they listened to our podcast and they went, "Oh, whoa, that did happen." Yeah, they listened to our podcast. I need to actually start listening to theirs again. So I want to just put, to put a bow on this because I do want to talk about that. Are we done with this episode? This episode was whatever. I didn't like it. Um, I hate it. Blew a Slight by Block Party, I think was the first Block Party song that they played, because there's an episode later that's full of Block Party music, I think. Mm -hmm. Either it's coming up or it already happened in season two. Um, But Blew a Slight is a a really weird song for them. It doesn't really seem like a Block Party song, but it is. And it's a song that plays at the very end of the episode when Trey leaves and Ryan's hugging Sandy. Um, That was a nice moment. I like that moment. Well, Um, just the song. I think this episode was so awkward for us to recap because it was so kind of fragmented into all these different storylines and kind of just a recap of what has been going on over the summer for each of these characters. I mean, it was a cleanup episode, ultimately. Right, like we never see Trey again. We never Mm -hmm. hear from Blah 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 again. Like that (laughs) storyline is just completely wrapped at that point. Um, We do meet Charlotte, who sucks. Um, Oh, I hate her. You're excited. Uh, That... Was the one storyline that you were like, oh, this could go somewhere. That was the only bit of continuity we get from this episode to the rest okay. of the season. Hang on. I think the difference between what... Because you comparing her to Oliver is very accurate as far as who they are and like how they manipulate people. Mm-hmm. But like Oliver, I hate Oliver, but I like Oliver in the, in the context of the show. Like He was a great mm-hmm. character in the show. He was mm-hmm. made to be hated, and I hated him. They did their job right. Charlotte, I just can't stand. Period. Like she's not a good character. I <laughs> think thing, I like yeah. the. Um, I think I liked that beach scene so much because it reminded me of why we actually like the Oliver episodes, and it's because it's just the gang doing fun gang things together. The only thing that could have made that beach scene better is if Luke was there. 
Luke emerged from the water. <laughs> hey guys, I'm back. I mean, that has to be here. They could have okay. done that. <sighs> so are we done anyways, with this episode, Dylan? I feel like you had something yeah. else you wanted to say. It'll fit better in the next episode. So, okay, between okay, in between episodes, bonus content. Um, that's fine. That's episode one. It was whatever. I have also listened to a few episodes recently of the Rachel Bilson, Melinda Clark podcast. I Like I said, we I tried to listen to it. The first episode I really liked, from there it just kind of became a little for me i'm not this is not me trashing their podcast their podcast is great for certain people who like their show right Mm -hmm. um but for me i just kind of fell off like it just became too monotonous and um they talk almost too much about like their personal lives in a way that like we don't we're listening to an oc podcast to hear about the oc not to hear about like melinda clark's daughters or something that's just Mm -hmm. my opinion um i'm sure people out there love it but the two episodes that I, i missed a ton of episodes but the two i've listened to recently because i was interested in their guests were the Kelly Rowan podcast and the Chris Carmack podcast. And it just reaffirmed to me mm-hmm. that like they are the two best people. Like I love both of them. They're the two best like guests that they've had. They're just the nicest, coolest, chillest, most fun people. Yeah, I completely agree. I listened to that Luke episode too and it was really fun hearing him um talk about the episode that they covered was when his dad comes out. And him just trying to put himself in the shoes of being a teenager when that happens. So oh, I, nice. It, it was a good episode. I liked it a lot. The great thing about Chris Carmack and the reason that I feel validated for loving Luke so much is that like you, I didn't really know this. Like he was, he was like a computer nerd guy, like a computer nerd musician guy that oh. just happened to be super hot. So he kept get so he like was almost thrown into this Abercrombie modeling thing, which was, mm-hmm. he was like, I never could ever in my life considered modeling until the Abercrombie thing just happened. And like, suddenly he was just cast as like a hot guy on the OC, but that's just not who he is at all. I don't know. I felt very vindicated and loving Luke after listening to him talk about that. I love it. It's funny. Cause you hear about that all the time. Like people getting picked up by open, like, like literally at the mall when someone approaches you and go, Oh, we're open casting. And everyone thinks that it's bullshit, but you hear about that a lot that happened to Luke. Um, I, I happened to you middle... with Kids Bop. Oh, That's right. well, no, I had to go to an audition for that, so that oh. was not a. Um... You auditioned. You had to audition for that. Yeah, I know they didn't just spot me and know I'd be perfect, but apparently. Hold on. Pause real quick. <laughs> Pause. What did they make you do in a Kids Bop audition? I honestly don't remember. I, I think maybe we sang a song or like had to lip sync a song. I don't remember to be honest. Mm. All right. Are we ready to move on to episode two? Yes, and hopefully it flows a little better. I will do my best, and I will try and keep it short. I'm trying to keep this under 90 minutes. Let's see if we can do it. Um, Episode two of season three, The Shape of Things to Come, features Sandy Cohen on screen for six minutes and 42 seconds. Dylan, go. September 15th, 2005. That was when it originally aired. 6.22 million people watched it because I guess a lot of people weren't very happy with the premiere. Uh, this was a better episode, though, maybe because it was written by J.J. Philbin. We start in the kitchen. It's Ryan, it's Seth, it's Sandy. They, the house has fallen apart without Kirsten. It's the first time we see them kind of dealing with life without Kirsten. Um, Sandy actually seems kind of sad. Like, there's a moment where he says she's a woman of many talents and then walks away, and Ryan and Seth just look at each other and like, oh, he's upset about something. It's probably missing his wife. Julie knocks at the door, and... Tell Sandy that the parents are protesting Ryan and Marissa coming back to Harbor because Marissa shot somebody and Ryan also was there. So he shouldn't come back to school either. Not only are they upset, he's, she says they have a petition. They, they filed have a, petition? a motion. 
a thousand people have signed the petition and they the kids are going to get expelled. This was also the scene where it's immediately like what Julie tried to do to Ryan in the last episode was so fucked up. Like she tried to yeah. get him thrown in jail, presumably for a long time, given his record by lying to the police about who shot Trey. And Sandy calls her on it and is like, you were shitty to my kid. And she's like, I know, but we have bigger problems to deal yeah, with. Yeah, suddenly they're and just suddenly healed. it's like, okay. Yeah, suddenly it's like, well, you're right. We should deal with this. No and that's college. like, I couldn't believe it. That was so just like, and we're done with that. Yeah, movie. that is such a TV only moment. Like, I just, ugh, that, that pissed me off. Like, there's not going to be any yeah. awkwardness. Or not, there's not going to be a little bit of every man for himself or Sandy being like, well, Julie's a crazy one. She tried to frame Ryan. So I have this broken down into storylines. I usually do characters, but this time it's a little more storylines because they do kind of inter intertwine. Mm -hmm. So our main storyline deals mostly with Ryan, uh, Marissa, and all of that drama sets in summer as well. So we're at the diner. Summer's waxing poetic about their senior year. It's supposed to be the best year ever, and she convinces the gang that this is going to be the best year ever, and they're all psyched up about it. Um, what song is playing, Ryan? Is it Death Cab? Soul Meets Body. Soul Meets Body. Death yeah, Cab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was originally, I had that originally typed out as my song of the episode. Great and CD. Music moment, but then I changed there's, it. There, there's something very, I, I have to derail you just because it's the first episode and I always have to do that. But there mm -hmm. is something that I noticed that happened in this diner scene. And mm -hmm. it's, it's one of those stupid things that I tend to notice in movies and shows. And I call them big break scenes where you have like a very minor actor or actress. I may have talked about this in the first season, like a very minor part and they're just milking it. And just like, I think the waitress, the waitress is the one that does it. And she's like walking and like smiling. And like, I call them, I call them big break scenes because I imagine that actor or she's actress. She's like, this is it. Going, this is gonna I'm be in it now. I'm in this. I'm in Hollywood, everyone. And imagine, so. Yeah, no, I totally like imagine being cast. You're like, I'm cast on the OC in terms of find out it's like the worst season and ratings are just in a free fall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so we had a. I just wanted to point out the big break scene of uh, of the episode, which was the waitress at the diner. There you go. Um, so we see Julie and Sandy are BFFs again, apparently, and they're going to hang out with Dr. Kim. Um, they're trying to, I guess, protest the protest. Um, they We learned that there were a thousand signatures on the petition. Julie says the word gangsta uh, in <laughs> so relation to foul. Marissa. And Dr. Kim, who we love, by the way. Shout out to Dr. Kim. Again, yes. I think we gave her a shout out every season so far. Medicine she's woman. great. I love her. Dr. I Kim, medicine she's woman. She's very fair-minded, and you can tell that this is not something she's happy about. She's on the she's side of Ryan and Marissa. She just is powerless because, I mean, presumably there's not even that many kids in their graduating class. So a thousand people signing it is a lot. She introduces them to the new dean of discipline, which Heck I didn't yeah. know was a thing. That exists, and I don't think it does exist. A dean of discipline, Ooh, especially in high school. Ryan, did you recognize him? Because I was like, this guy was in one Cruel of the Ryan's. Cruel intentions, baby. Yes, he's the Gregster. That's oh, right. Dude. I wrote. That's literally my my verbatim notes. New dean of discipline, Jack Hess. He's a dick. He was also in Cruel Intentions. <laughs> I put Jack. Jack Hess has big Oklahoma House of Representatives energy. Oh my god, he absolutely does. <laughs> he totally does. He has like college quarterback, which I think is what he was in Cruel Intentions. So maybe that's mm -hmm. why I'm confusing it. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, but he also had a so, mouth like a Hoover. Don't forget it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, For the next bonus episode, we're gonna do a commentary. I fucking I just rewatched Girl Intentions like recently. It's a, still still a great movie. Um, 
So we meet Jackass, the new dean of discipline, which I guess is a job that's there just to. I thought you said people. Jackass. Do you think they purposefully named him Jackass so when you said it quickly it would jackass, sound like Jackass? Asterisk. Asterisk. Asterisk might be the name of this episode. No, it's not, by the way. It's not. Look, Chelsea's <laughs> asleep. Um, so Jackass, Asterisk, he's here. And he's our guy. Marissa and Summer are at school. I guess Marissa was allowed to start school is what we're trying to, is what we're learning. She was allowed to start school because she's at school with Summer Mm -hmm. and uh, she's heading to a social committee meeting. Marissa still is the social chair and it's time for the kickoff carnival guys. Year three kickoff carnival. Here we go. And this is where we meet. This is a pivotal moment for me in my life. This is where we meet the goat of goats, (laughs) Taylor Townsend. Taylor Townsend. New character alert. Taylor Townsend is in the building. She is introduced as a very uptight, neurotic, kind of unself-aware jerk, is what I will say. That's how she's presented to us. We will later learn she is like a flower with many layers. (laughs) But she's presented to us, and I don't think, I'm pretty sure, I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure she was written to be kind of like a villain, and then people just like me just loved her so much they had to eventually kind of turn her. So I, before we started this podcast, like, like the month before we started it, Leslie and I were rewatching season three she's watching it for the first time. And there's a line that Summer says, where she says, there's nothing I hate more than perky blondes who want to take over the world. Yes. Leslie was triggered. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Summer, listen, Summer, not perfect. Still great. Not perfect. Yeah. There are moments from my high school where I very much related to Taylor and there were other moments where I very much related to Summer. I think in adulthood, I'm a lot more Summer. I'm a lot more Rebel Yell. As you guys can see, I painted my nails black. It's kind of the energy I'm feeling lately. But I like the idea of Summer kind of coming in and ruffling the feathers of the kind of know-it-all teacher's pet person. But being said, everything, every grievance that Taylor aired, was she wrong on any of those accounts? No, absolutely Mm -hmm. not. First of all, she pantomimes a gun where she's like, I thought you might not make it because of the... And I yeah. thought it was so funny. I was like, she's Taylor, so you have my heart. Um, no, she's not. And she's not wrong. And I'll get to that in a minute. Um, but we see her leading the social committee meeting. And Marissa is, she didn't expect Marissa to be there because of the gun situation. Marissa's there. So Marissa takes over the throne for now. Um, I also wrote that the social committee, if you, if you look at them, if you look at the group as a whole, they look like the cast of a season of The Bachelor. <laughs> they do. They do. They're all just... Blondes made up in fancy clothes. Speaking of clothes during that scene, that's actually the outfit of the episode. It's um, Taylor. Taylor's pastel cardigan wrapped around yes. her white Lacoste polo, her plaid skirt, Hell yeah. those pearl earrings. I think I Perfection. think I dressed like that for like one semester in high school and then was like, oh, this is not my look. But I think everyone went through a phase of that because Abercrombie was producing those Freaking plaid skirts all the time. And then you got Laguna Beach. So you're like, I have to have a Lacoste polo. Mm-hmm. She's perfection. I understand. I think she's a nice lady. <laughs> um, So we see Seth and Ryan back at home. Seth, it, I don't, I truly do not remember this. I was shocked when I saw this. Seth is um making a Seth Cohen starter pack rehab edition, <laughs> so which great. includes Chuck Klosterman, whom I love. I'm a big Klosterman fan. I think Chelsea, you are too. We've talked about this. Oh yeah. What I'd never realized. And I think I got into this book much later after the OC 
was that he has Craig Thompson's blankets in this book, which is my favorite book of all time. It's by far my fa- my favorite like work. I mean, it's a graphic novel, but it's my favorite like book I've ever read. I've read it like a hundred mm. times. It's just the best. I never realized that this was that it was in the OC. I don't. Maybe it was. Maybe that's where it leaked into my brain. I don't know. I was like, I had to stop and and like look at it again. Anyway, shout out to Blanket. Shout out to Craig Thompson. Um, the next time we see them, they are having dinner together. They're grilling. They're having steaks. It's man night because Kirsten's in rehab. Night. Sandy gets a phone call. He goes outside to talk to the kids. But this is where I really noticed that like we talked about. Um, remember in season one, episode one, there's that weird scene where they go sailing and it shows them walking back to the house and Marissa's on the balcony watching them walk back to the house. And I was like, we never see this again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's because they filmed the pilot at a real house and that was a real location. They were really at the beach. Everything after that was filmed on a soundstage with the house was like recreated. And this is where it was so obvious that this was such a fake house soundstage because the background just looked so fake. Like it was, they tried to make it look like the most perfect sunset you've ever seen. And in doing so, it was like uncanny valley almost. It looks oh, so weird. Fake. It was like those old MGM musicals. Like I, there's that the show that just dropped on Apple TV plus Schmigadoon does that same thing where it's like the very clearly this is a canvas in the back and when you see that happen like an american in paris or singing in the rain it's charming mm-hmm. when you see it happen in the oc um it it makes Ew, your head hurt eerie. Yeah, it's weird. but sandy got a phone call and it's from dr kim and she tells him that the verdict's in guys ryan is not expelled but marissa is expelled why do mm. we think it went like that? Because she shot somebody. She shot someone. <laughs> yeah, Ryan didn't. So, um, yeah. I mean, Trey. Trey has now said that, like, yeah, Marissa shot me, mm-hmm. not Ryan. So, okay. And the dean, the dean wasn't excited about it. We find that out later. Mm-hmm. He, right. We also learned that Ryan and Marissa haven't really touched base or like discussed their situation given the shooting. Like, this is a topic of conversation now. Is that Ryan and Marissa are not? I think they're kind of just pretending maybe like it didn't happen or they're just not, they're not talking about it. They're not talking about it. Yeah. There's definitely Um, a rift in their relationship. And I'm, I'm really glad I will say about the season. I'm glad that they went there because we've kind of talked amongst ourselves that Ryan has that like, you know, white knight complex where he always feels like he has to swoop in and save people. And I don't think he's ever really been disciplined or really been put in check about it until this season. And it's not Sandy who does it, even though he tries and even though he brings up stuff frequently. But really, Marissa is the one that finally kind of gets through to Ryan to back off a little bit. Yeah, It is, uh, it is his Achilles heel. You are correct. <laughs> um, Heels and wallets. All yeah. parts of men. I'm glad that it's addressed, though, because it would be frustrating if it never was. So yeah, yeah, well, yeah. We'll get we'll get to that argument. It's it's something that I'm sure we'll have thoughts on. Mm-hmm. Um, but because Marissa's being expelled, that means Taylor's back on the throne, baby. She's back on top. Marissa's expelled, and she does something that I thought was just incredible, and I think I never realized this before. She has a moment of silence for Marissa Cooper. Power which move. Fucking loved it. Yeah, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Summer's mad about this and wants to be social chair now for no reason. Let's be real. Like, Summer has no business doing this. She has no business. Taylor calls her for it, too, by saying, you have no qualifications at all. I have every qualification. I am the person who has been doing this. You have it. Very reminiscent of 2016 Mm -hmm. Trump Hillary. I'm just saying. Um, And Taylor is right. This is also where we get a really good quote, too. Well, it's a little bit later. Um, one of my, one <laughs> of my favorite, okay. one of my favorites, but it relates to this situation. Sure. Um, it's when Seth and Summer are 
having a chat about mm-hmm. whether she actually does want to do it or not and why she does. And Summer says she's Taylor Townsend. She's like the Carl Rove of our school. Mm-hmm. That was so awesome. But then, of and course, Seth has Seth to follow it up. say, how do you even know who uh, that is? Yeah. Oh, you know who Carl Rove is? And then kind of scumbag Seth starts to make his way back in. I've decided I'm going to be anti-Seth this season just for, okay. to change things yeah. up. Appreciate um, this. But, uh, but that's another one of the lines I liked. There's some more scumbag coming up. Seth. Well, no, I wrote the, my very next note. It was like Summer says that she wants to protect Marissa's legacy, and that's why she's doing it, which I don't think is smart. Mm. But she also, calls Taylor, she also calls Taylor an uber bitch and Not also nice. calls her Carl Rove. And I wrote, this is hard to watch. <laughs> um, but Seth actually gave Seth gives her good advice. Seth actually comes. You, you can you can be anti Seth here. I'm giving him props. He gives her good advice, which is like you can't fight fire with fire. You got to find the thing that you have that's different from Taylor that you can like you know hide your weaknesses um, and whatever. What's the word? Like expand your strengths. What's the word? Um, emphasize your strengths. Emphasize your strengths and hide your weaknesses. That's basically the advice he gives her. Um, so now we have Ryan and Marissa. They're back again. And now they're talking to the dean. Ryan seems to think that if he can just tell the dean his side of things, I suddenly love this scene. the dean is going to change his mind. So like, sweet and naive. How cute. It was so dumb. Yeah. Like, he basically, he literally goes in there and says, well, we just thought if you heard our side of things. And I was like, he doesn't need, like... We know your side of things. We like. I'm sure there are plenty of reports written by Bob blah blah. I think everyone knows your <laughs> side of things. But. Um, I wrote Ryan and Marissa versus the Dean. The Dean's tie is tied terribly. It's a tiny knot for a yeah. fat tie. Yep. Yeah. He's from the East Coast, which is very vague. I don't know why they didn't just say a city. Um, he brings All up Marissa's them. past. Yeah, he brings up Marissa's past and uses it against her. That's so good. I know it's great. Like he again, he's kind of right. He uses her past against her, and Marissa says the most cringe thing, where she goes, "Yeah, but the shooting was different." Don't like, you can't just you say walk that, right, right into his trap. Yeah, I know. Ooh, bad. These kids are just they. If had Sandy prepped them, we'd have a totally different situation here. God, you got hessed. <laughs> God, man. <laughs> you got hest, bitch. Um, so she says the shooting was different. It was very cringe. She does, but she does also say that she doesn't regret shooting Trey and she would do it again if she had the chance or something. And I was like, hell Didn't yeah, Marissa. That. I know, but I was like, you know what? She knew at that point, like, this isn't going well. I'm just going to say fuck it and crash this into the sun. And she did it. I was like, you know what? Good for her. Yeah. I, I love how whenever, like... Big dick energy. Like, in that moment, I feel like Hess... It reminded me so much of that Vince McMahon meme where he's sitting there and like getting more and more oh, yeah. excited as she's saying stuff. By the time she walks out, he's going to fall backwards in his chair. Yeah, God, no, totally dude. agree. Uh, my next note just says, in all caps, Seth flips off Taylor. Oh, my God, what an asshole. Because he does. I bet that was improvised by America's greatest uh, improvisational comic, Adam Brody. I don't think so. Um, but you can't be flipping off Taylor Townsend. Come on. She's no. America's sweetheart sometime in the future. Summer coaxes the social committee with chocolate fountains and mini foods. And then I just wrote, how dumb are these girls supposed to be? Like, it's so, <laughs> it was such a d- weird scene. It was strange. I love it. I love it so much. Is this a scene where they're talking about, well, instead of selling off one of the big gas guzzlers from Taylor's dad's dealership, what if we sell off a Which hybrid? Continuity. But the, my, my favorite thing is the girls go, air quality is so important. And another one goes, we breathe yeah, it. We breathe it. Wait, what's the continuity? Chelsea? I don't think that they ever mentioned I, Taylor's dad again. I think, I think. well, no, I take that oh, back. Yeah, yeah. They, they say that she, she's like, oh, we ran away when I was little or something like that. Like he, she has a dad 
in this episode that's seemingly involved with their life if he's going to donate a freaking car. And then Ooh, right. from this point on, he is completely uninvolved. We only hear about, we only hear about her terrible mom. Yeah, he's her, with Trey and Donnie. single mom, you know? Ooh. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a, good a point. bit of He got in one of those cars and drove off. Well, speaking of continuity, I don't know. This is the first time I ever caught this, and I feel like this is actually pretty brilliant writing. So they make a reference to, I don't fully remember exactly what it, what the reference was, but they talk about different things they could be having in the carnival and they want to cancel, I guess shenanigans was the name of the school improv group is what I mm-hmm. understood because Seth says they've gotten too political and one of the girls says, yeah, they've gone downhill ever since Tina Wu graduated. <laughs> do you remember? And do you remember Tina Wu was a girl that in season two, when Seth was going through the yearbook looking for girls to date, he says, Tina Wu, she does improv. Like, this could oh be my girl. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I was like, holy shit. That's wonderful. That's good writing. I can't believe I, I one, I can't believe I never noticed it. And I also can't believe I did notice it today. Good yeah, job, I, JJ. Is, yeah, damn. So Marissa and Ryan are now at Marissa's house. Um, they're getting into an argument. Marissa says she doesn't want to fight the expulsion. She's tired of just like dealing with all the shit. She's ready to just let it overcome her. Um, but then she goes into this thing where Ryan's like, why are you wanting to give up? Like, I want to fight this for you. And she basically says like, I don't need you to do this. I don't need you to do anything. Um, she goes to, there's a whole list of things that she doesn't need Ryan to do. And Ryan inexplicably out of nowhere just says the most the worst thing you could say in that scenario where he goes so what this whole thing's my fault <laughs> and i was like what just happened here yeah. how did this turn into that that escalated quickly it was yeah. bizarre and you know he says this whole thing's my fault and i was like no that's not it like i know i shot your brother and he's like and he basically ryan basically says like well i'm a victim too you know because he was my brother and she's like yeah and i took him away so now they're just like piling on this fucking guilt trip who's who's the more victim and i wrote they are so bad at this how are they a good couple it it still doesn't make sense their relationship doesn't make sense yeah i i think around this time i just put i'm already bored with ryan and marissa this season and we're like two episodes in yeah, it's the same but he shit. They've never been a good couple. He boomerangs from that to also being overly protected. Like, whenever I thought we were recording um, four episodes this season, I'm getting a little bit confused what happened in what episode. But he goes to extreme levels to try to keep him and Marissa together and to try to uh, yeah, interfere in Mar- Marissa's life. So I, you know, it's strange that those two things can coexist where he feels uncomfortable around Marissa because she kind of cause this whole rift which by the way that's a whole other thing we need to unpack because you know when we talk about rape victims and one of the reasons why they don't want to come out with what has happened to them is because they know that whoever the the guys in my life who are friends with the rapist are going to suddenly be strange and this is playing right into that she feels guilt even though she did not do anything wrong in this scenario. Yeah, that's a really great point, actually. I never uh-huh. even put those dots together that, like, she did shoot Trey, but, like, what he did to her was just as bad. Like, and Ryan doesn't seem... Like, he basically says, like, well, he was my brother. And I was like, yeah, but he tried to assault Marissa. Like, get the and fuck out of here. And we're trying to right? kill yeah. you. Try to assault Marissa, try to kill you. That wasn't the, So that was the next thing I was going to say, was that presumably, based on the fight that we saw between Ryan and Trey, Marissa saved Ryan's life, right? Like, I don't think I don't think we're jumping to conclusions by saying no, that. No, yeah, well, he literally and, and Trey, grabbed his head and he had yeah. his phone that he was about to slam into it. And even in, in the confession of the 
episode before, he says that he would have killed Ryan had Marissa not shot him. So undoubtedly, Trey was going to kill Ryan. Ooh, what you say? say? It's going to happen. Like, that's that's an unhealthy takeaway is Marissa reported on Trey and now her and Ryan's relationship is suffering because of it. Yeah, the... And the, the thing this show does not do well, um, and it's highlighted even more in these episodes, is we kind of joked around in season one about how what the OC was telling us when we were at a very impressionable age is that therapy is good to go to, but I don't know, you might meet someone crazy who takes over your life, and now they're doing the, it's good to go to rehab to get clean, but you never know, you might meet a weird woman that's trying to take over your life now. Yeah. Oh my god, I never considered that. That Marissa met Oliver at therapy and Kirsten met Charlotte at rehab. And so yeah. the question and is, what is Marissa, the OC trying to tell us? Marissa trying, like, whenever she, um, me too's Trey, it, it, it results in disaster. Like, Yeah, this this show does not age well when it comes to these big ideas, I think. Um, well, actually, while we're talking about Charlotte, uh, I will say I like uh, laughed out loud whenever she did the big reveal of this <laughs> idyllic fuck? lake house that looked like shit, that looked like grandma's house in the woods. I was like, oh, God. I got thoughts. It's very cottage core. It's very, I just, it's very D minus Taylor Swift energy. I just have like two more kickoff carnival thoughts and then I can shut up about this storyline. But my first one is that I feel like the kickoff carnival just keeps getting worse. I feel like the kickoff carnival itself is a metaphor for the show where they're just constantly, the characters are constantly trying to chase the high that was the first season kickoff carnival and they end up falling woefully short. Um, This was really no exception. I feel like this was one of the worst ones. Um, I had a question for you, Ryan, and it was, do Jewish people get motion sick more easily than Gentiles? Um, Because there was that whole scene where Seth made a big deal about he was after he went on the tilt a whirl thing or whatever it was with summer. He said that he was too Jewish for that carnival ride because his stomach was hurting. First of all, I'm not answering this question. I don't like this question. <laughs> I don't know. What, I don't know what you want it to be. Kickoff carnival year three. Summer's sad because uh, Marissa's not there. Uh, Ryan apologizes to Marissa at the beach. He shows up to the uh, what do we call it? The beach hut. Mm-hmm. Shows up to the beach hut. He sees Marissa and he apologizes. And I think he does a pretty good apology. He talks too much afterwards. Um, we're back. Kickoff carnival. Summer. I just wrote summer and Seth hurt Taylor Townsend's feelings. Sad face. I don't remember exactly what was said, but they said something shitty to her. Ryan and Marissa show up to the carnival. They're going to the Ferris wheel. Leather Salt jacket. feels very familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Ryan's in his season one attire. Bad boy clothes. Um, that's right. Default skin. So the dean, um, Dean Hess, sees Marissa and tries to throw her out of the carnival because she no longer attends school at Harbor. Valid. Which I'm sure there are many other people there who also don't go to their school, but whatever. Also valid. He has a bone to pick with Marissa, so he tries to throw her out. Ryan's he is getting handsy like he grabs her by the arm I'm sure it triggered her in some way back to the tray thing um Ryan stops him turns him around and just punches him in the face bloody nose and all and uh they leave the the dean kicks him out and says you know I've thought I was gonna have to work hard to kick you out but you've done it all on your own which by the way they're they're surrounded by people and like everyone heard him say this I don't know how this isn't brought up again that like he has a bone to pick with Ryan um so we're left with them. They're getting kicked out. We assume that Ryan is also going to be expelled now. I think that's the cliffhanger we're leaving on. But yep. also, we are Sad left Phantom with Phantom Planet uh, music rolls. Phantom Planet's <laughs> re-record of California. It's called California 2005. It's the more chilled out, down-tempo, more acoustic version of the song. Um, 
that's actually really good. And I just remember when this happened, I had to know, like, they played at the end of the episode, and, like, I had to know, like, I have to download this immediately. I remember watching these episodes and immediately going to, like, Kazaa or LimeWire and being like, let's download all the music that was on the OC tonight. And this this version of the song was not available. It, you just could not find it anywhere. Like, I, it was one of those things where you had to download the sound clip of the scene of the episode. Wow. So I listened to it for months with all of the voices and stuff in the background. And like, oh, I knew nice. every so word to the scene <laughs> by heart because I listened to it so many times and this song wasn't actually available until the next soundtrack came out and it was put on that soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Like that mix three. You can yeah. also hear it, dear listener. If you go back, uh, travel back in time and listen to our trailer for this show, it was the background music in the trailer That's for right. Keeping Up With The Coens, an OC box set rewatch podcast. Those were the days. Oh, do we need to re-record an intro? Before no that. way. Let's, Let's keep it. It's charming. No. So that's how we leave our core four. Ryan is now presumably expelled. Marissa is expelled. Um, Seth and Summer are going to war with Taylor Townsend, which I hate. So <laughs> let's move on to part one of the adults, which I have is Sandy, Kirsten, and Charlotte. Kirsten's packing to go home. She's done with rehab. She's graduating. And Charlotte walks in and basically says, like, oh, you're leaving. And, so, and like, Kirsten says something like, yeah, how about you? And Charlotte's like, yeah, I'm almost done packing as well. I'm like, do they just leave together? Is this how rehab works? Yeah. Do they just decide? And then I have so many thoughts about this. Go on. So my next thing is that um, I wrote Charlotte is spreading FUD, which um, like people who invest in stocks and now crypto, FUD is fear, uncertainty, and doubt. It's like what people who don't want you to invest in certain things will try and tell you to like make you not invest in it. Oh. And I wrote the Charlotte is spreading FUD about rehab and like relapsing and like her fears of relapsing and... Uh, Conveniently, her dad has a cottage at Lake Arrowhead, and she invites Kirsten to come with her. As Kirsten expresses some fear about relapsing, basically says, if I want to leave, I want to leave for good. And so Charlotte convinces her to come stay at this cottage at Lake Arrowhead. I don't even know if Lake Arrowhead's a real thing. It probably is. And Kirsten agrees. Um, Charlotte kind of manipulates her into agreeing to come live with her at a lake house. God knows where. Sandy's not happy about this. Sandy does come. He meets Charlotte. I didn't understand this scene where he walks into Kirsten's room. He sees her suitcase is packed. Mm -hmm. And he says, hopefully that means you'll be coming home soon. And like, did Kirsten not tell him at all that she's allowed to leave? Like, did he not know she was leaving until her suitcase is already packed and she was going out the door? Well, like, how much agency do they have in deciding when they can come and go? Like, it, you know, because it sounds like Kirsten's like, oh, I don't know. I kind of want to stay. Like, I didn't know that that's how rehab worked. Well, it was a voluntary committal, I think. Wasn't it? Because we had a requirement that she has to volunteer. Like, she can't be, they can't force her to go. I feel right. like there's right. like a period of time where you have to stay, maybe, mm-hmm. and then you can leave whenever you want. Okay. Well, they're like, oh, you didn't complete the program or whatever. Um, but this is the other thing I'm wondering is why is she so like, why does she take Charlotte's advice so seriously when clearly Charlotte has been unsuccessful with um, her alcohol recovery? Is that insensitive to say? Well, I think that Charlotte can sense that her biggest fear is relapsing and charlotte's able to use that and prey on that and get her to trust her because she now thinks that charlotte's an expert when it comes to this level of stuff 
Well, but it's, Char- but still, Char- that would mean that if Charlotte, she met Charlotte in rehab, and it's happened to Charlotte before, that would mean that Charlotte is really, really bad at not being an alcoholic. So I don't know why Kirsten would take her advice. But she's also someone that has been through it, I think. I mean, I don't, I don't totally agree with this, but I think that the show wants us to believe that Kirsten views her as someone who has been through it and has relapsed and can now sense when a relapse is coming and how to protect against it. Mm-hmm. I, I feel wow. like that's one of one of the big deals in, in AA is, you know, your your sponsor is someone who has gone through it before. Is Charlotte her sponsor, though? I, that, that's the thing. I don't, I don't think, think so. she is. And so so there's there's a question that I just kind of want to umbrella over this whole kind of character study or whatever. But like mm-hmm. at this point, much like with Oliver, but worse with with Charlotte, it's like at this point, I'm like, what is her end game here? Like, is, is she trying to Charlotte? Yeah. Like is at this stage, like we know kind of ultimately what's going to happen. But like at this stage, what would you think her end game is? I don't. I mean, that's part of the show, as we don't know. We got to watch to find out. But I yeah. think what her endgame was, according to the show, is that she was trying to get money from her to. She was going to scam her for money when she knew her dad was rich. She was going to read the will, and she was trying to scam her for money for to start a fake nonprofit that didn't actually exist. Yeah, it requires yeah. a little bit more watching. I just yeah, because like with Oliver, his his whole thing was well, Marissa's like the the popular the hot girl at the school and he's like the weird guy. Like I get that he wants a relationship, but like with her, it's like, what is she trying to do? Like take her place. I remember when I first watched this, I was like, is she just trying to take her place? It is was that very what this single is? white female and especially how they kept yeah. showing her and Sandy together. Yeah. Um, and she was and her, just watching like, when they talking, kissed. Yeah. Watching with him and she was kind of trying to talk and manipulate him before you knew that like what Charlotte's plan was, it seemed like she was trying to like take over Kirsten's life. And whatever happened, this is this happened twice in these two episodes. I feel like they're like retconning Sandy in the most convenient way possible for the storyline. Like the you know, the joke is that and this is back in the first episode, Sandy Kirsten can't cook. It's Sandy. Sandy does all this stuff, but all of a sudden he's not a breakfast guy. He didn't know what's going on. It's a mess and all that. Mm-hmm. But the biggest one is Sandy makes it a point to say, you know, I was in the public defender's office. I- I've been lied to by the best. And now he has this obvious scammer straight up lying to him. And he just goes, yeah, you know what? I think you're right. It's like that wasn't an imitation, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it just makes me wonder like, it's like they retcon Sandy to be like, okay, maybe some liars, maybe he, maybe some liars can get stuff past him because it just seems convenient. Maybe they're saying that um, Charlotte is the best liar that's ever existed. <laughs> the, <laughs> the master criminal. Yeah. So there's a lot, I mean, there's some more scenes here, but like the, the gist of this all is that San, uh, Kirsten goes to live with Charlotte at um, a cottage. At a very is, underwhelming cottage. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is uh Two stars max. Fixer upper. It, it literally looks like a kind of we would get at an Airbnb, like if we're going to like a lake weekend or something. Mm-hmm. If, for for yeah. max five people. Like a, There's a bigger like group a than non, that. You don't need a non bougie one. Like this is kind of like the the middle uh, price point. I'd say. Yeah. My, yeah. my favorite thing is when she goes. You know, my he locked locked it up like Fort Knox, and she proceeds to unlock one glass yeah. door. <laughs> <laughs> that I I thought ahead when she said that because i was like this is planting the seeds of something that she said that random line i don't think it is i think they just randomly made her say that (laughs) because also she i also i hated the part where she like 
I mean, I, I think the show is trying to hit us over the head with like, this woman's weird, right? Like something's up. But she's like, I'm going to teach you how to cook in this kitchen. And she like gives her like the shoulder bump. And I was like, oh, oh the butt God, bump. I hate this. Yeah. Something like that. It's it, was, bad. it was weird. Um, Charlotte can sense that Kirsten is like kind of waffling about staying or going or something. But so she doubles down and she throws a hell of a performance outside mm-hmm. where she somehow sets up Kirsten finding her outside in the middle of the night crying. Oh, and she ew, has a I bottle. Hate this. I, hate I hated it. that. And she has oh. like a bottle. I she think goes. it was a bottle of rum. It was a bottle of liquor. I think it was rum. And um, she basically says like, I'm going to relapse again and blah, blah, blah. And Kirsten basically vows to stay with her at the cottage for as long as she oh, needs. Oh, I hate it. So again, yeah. why is Kirsten not like, hey, we should go back to the, like, you need to go back to the Syriac then. I just don't get it. It's like when I was so frustrated with Oliver and when the kids weren't telling, like, why Ryan didn't tell Dr. Kim, hey, he literally just got in trouble with Coke. Like, this is the same thing. That's how we leave um, Sandy and Kirsten and Charlotte. We're wrapping up with Jimmy and Julie. Um, couple, just a couple of notes here, and we'll be done. I start with Jimbo's meeting up with a shady balding guy. This guy doesn't have a name, right? We don't know who this Big guy is. Big Lance energy, though. All these people have Lance energy. He doesn't blink very no, much. I didn't get Lance energy. I from didn't him. get Lance I didn't energy. Get I, got... I got Roy from the. I got Roy from the Office energy from him, actually. Yeah. Ooh, Ooh yeah. Ooh, that's good. Only I don't know. Yeah. Roy was more of a bozo, and this guy was more like I'm a frat boy who's also a like loan shark man. I get big, I'm going to punch Jimmy at Cotillion energy. No, that was Holly's dad. <laughs> Holly, RIP. She's with Dustin. Hey, Holly comes back next season. Does she? Yeah, she's in season four. Jess comes, Jess comes Jess back. Jess comes season. back this season. Holly comes back next season. Does Dustin ever come back? No, Dustin is permanently Wait, Danny, in dog does, head, heaven. Go big Danny ever come back? <laughs> <laughs> My favorite character. God, Danny and Taylor Townsend would be a perfect couple. Oh, wow. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Fan friction. So we don't know this guy's name. Uh, what do we call him? What should we call him? Um, he looks like a Steve. A Steve? Mm-hmm. He looks. Steve. Yeah, Steve's fine. I was just. Steve. I was just a stupid Dick Tracy joke. I'm still waiting patiently. The only redeeming part of this season. Went, fuck. What was his? Fuck. What did we call? What did you call him that made me laugh so hard? Volchek. Gidget. Gidget. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cam Gidget. The only redeeming part of this season will be when Gidget shows up and we get to just say Gidget all the time. I'm so excited about um, Gidget. Yeah. So Jimbo's meeting up with Steve. Steve's a shady balding guy. Um, spoiler alert. Tate's in money trouble. Oh my God. I, I can't spoiler. believe it. Right. I wrote Steve is a shady. Steve is shady as fuck, but they're waiting on Caleb's will to get read because apparently Tate owes Steve a lot of money. Um, now, next time we see him, he's having dinner with Julie and... She basically says, she says, how is your drinks with that client? Did you sell him a fleet of yachts? So I'm guessing that Julie thinks that Tate's job is selling yachts to people. Man. Or was she joking? I didn't get that at all. Yeah. That's what she says. But the bill comes for their drinks. Julie literally walks in, sits down, and the bill appears right when she shows up, which I thought was rude. But um, the bill shows up. And that's when they have that moment where it's awkward with Jimmy. He's like, oh, I can't. I would have left my credit card at home. This is put on Caleb's tab. Um, Classic Julie. Later on, Julie decides she wants to donate to Harbor High School in an effort to get Marissa unexpelled. And Tate's acting real skittish about it because 
he's having money problems. I know, right? Crazy. And he says something like, how much should we donate? Like, I don't know, $2,000? And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? $2,000 is literally nothing. I couldn't believe that that was a number that they chose. Mm -hmm. Even Julie says, no, it should be more like $100,000. Even that seems low to me for some reason. Maybe because I watched that documentary about the... The Stanford scandal, the admission scandal. Yeah. And I just thought, I just like, oh, but they've people paid tens of millions of dollars. Yeah. Um, so even a hundred thousand seemed kind of low. But um, Tate again meets up with Steve, and t- he has a very good argument for telling Steve he needs to borrow another one hundred thousand um, dollars. He also admits here that his boat, I guess, is being repossessed by the bank. We learned that. The boat that Ryan almost stole and left on the previous episode. Um, Julie is now ever so. Th- this is in the scene after um, Dean Hess and Marissa have their little explosion, and it's pretty obvious that Marissa's not getting back into harbor. So Julie takes a hundred thousand dollars and just decides she's going to use it for yeah. other things, like, like paying oh, the yard good. guy. I need it anyways. It's so blase. Yeah. Reminds yeah, me of season one, episode one, Julie. Yeah. Oh yeah. China has alopecia. Um, <laughs> And so, and like, it, I just thought that was really funny because you could see the, like, Tate is freaking, fully freaking out mm-hmm. at this point whenever he just borrowed and immediately lost $100,000. Um, and the the episode ends with him. He proposes to her. I feel like that's a bad, bad idea. I feel like Tate, I wrote, Tate proposes to Julie. Is he the real villain now? I think he's been the villain the whole time. Yeah. No, he hasn't been the villain. Well, he has done some shady mm. shit. You're not wrong. I just think that, like, with Julie, at least, she's very upfront. She's very herself. You know what her motives are. She's an asshole a lot of the time, but she does not hide it. Tate's so manipulative and shady, and like he just wants to marry her so he can be cut into the money when they read the will so that he can pay back all his debts. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care about Julie. Not that Julie's a great person, but like she deserves better than that. Mm-hmm, I mean, absolutely. I think that in the last episode... No, it wasn't this episode. No, last episode, where, where Sandy has that confrontation with him where he's basically saying you know seems kind of convenient that you're just showing up you know caleb dies you show up and you're ready to be a family again wasn't that in the last episode like Mm -hmm. sandy just hits the nail right on the head as he usually does he's rebecca notwithstanding he's king i miss rebecca but yeah that's how we end uh this whole episode um the episode actually ends with ryan and marissa getting kicked out of the carnival because ryan punched dean hess in the face (laughs) and we got that great um phantom planet song and that is it for the first two episodes of season three of the oc the worst season yes we did it we did it out of all these storylines which one are you most excited for and which one are you like cringing on right now excited for knowing what happens or have i just watched these two for the first time if you just watched these two for the first time and kind of with our knowledge of the series um i'm frustrated with tate obviously I, i know i know my answer it's easy and i think it might be the same as ryan's taylor townsend yeah taylor i'm interested to know about seth summer taylor that 100%. That, because yeah, that feels it. the most classic OC to me. Agreed. I love Taylor. She's the best. She's the best character on the show. Yeah. I think I knew something exciting was going to happen with Charlotte, so I feel like I remembered being pumped about like <gasps> what's going to happen. As next? a kid, I didn't. As a kid, I didn't care about the adult storylines at all. Yeah, but I didn't. I didn't either. Especially Charlotte. But if I was just watching this for the first time, I think I would be the most like on the edge of my seat about like what's going to happen with Marissa and Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. And when it became clear yeah. where this ta- the Tate storyline was going, I just remember feeling tale. so like cringe just because I, you know, we want him to be a good dad and a good character and do the right thing. So it was really disappointing how they how he didn't yeah. live up to that. So 
Yeah, I agree completely. And I miss Luke. Miss him every day. <laughs> Wish we had him. Totally. Well, that'll do it for mm. episode one of season three of Keeping Up with the Cones. How do you guys think we did? I think that was a solid eight out of ten. I feel like we did pretty good. I think we're I think we're getting better. I think we're a well-oiled yeah. machine. At this point, I agree. The first episode was hard to get through, and I think it's just because it was like basically the sec- like finale part B of season two. Yeah. It really was. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but yeah, if you want to reach out to us, you can find us online on Instagram at CoensPod, C-O-H-E-N-S-P-O-D. Or you can send us an email, CoensPod at gmail.com. Dylan, talk about the things that you like to talk about here. I want to talk about ratings and reviews. There's this mm-hmm. thing called an algorithm. It's a it's a computer term that I feel like Chris uh, Carmack. Chris Carmack, I think I almost said McCormick. I feel like Chris Carmack would really be able to explain it much better than I can. Um, but there's an algorithm on Apple Podcasts that if the show has ratings and the show has reviews, the show is more likely to show up if you type in some keywords, keyword here being VOC. Um, you've had a break. You haven't had to listen to us for a while. Now that we're back, I would love it if we could get some more ratings and reviews. We're almost to 100. If uh, If you don't do it for me, do it for my daughter. I want her to be born into a world where this podcast has over a hundred ratings and you all can give her the greatest gift, which is 100 ratings and reviews on her dad's OC podcast that he co-hosts with people who are much more qualified than him. So please leave us ratings, leave us reviews. We will read them. We read all of them. I read all of them at least. Dylan screenshots them and sends them to us. Especially if they say nice things about me and bad things about Ryan. I definitely (laughs) screenshot those. I actually have this nice little like screensaver um that i i watch it's just bad <laughs> things like now you just have a mood board and this is all over our <laughs> it's it's great it's totally great and not at all psycho um mm-hmm. but yeah i would love it i'd appreciate it um but mostly regardless of all that and all joking aside um i love doing this show um and i think i speak for for ryan and chelsea when like we say that this is so fun. We look forward to this every week. And if even one person was listening and enjoying it, that'd be great. But we've just had so much positive feedback, and we hope that you all continue to like it. Thanks for sticking with us. Chelsea, anything else you want to add? We good? Um, This is fun. I'm excited. Season three. Goodbye. We're done. Bye.